This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 99. We're studying the final two verses in the book of Jonah today. But this is not the end of our discussion of Jonah. We have one final episode left, episode number 100, which we will look at next week. And what will we look at if we're done with Jonah? Well, we will discuss what the story of Jonah is all about. We'll see today that the story of Jonah ends quite abruptly. It has a very strange ending. And I will explain next week why this is so and how it clues us into what the story of Jonah is all about. So make sure you join us for that final episode of our study of Jonah and also our final episode of the year. After I finish Jonah next week, I'll be taking about four to six weeks off from publishing more episodes while I enjoy Christmas and the new year with my family. And uh, look, as we close out the year and uh, face a new year, if you've enjoyed these studies on Jonah and maybe the Genesis studies as well, I would really appreciate it if you would uh, maybe partner with me somehow financially in helping get this podcast produced and published. Uh, It's free for you. And I'm, I'm happy to do that, even if you can't help me out. But if you're able to, uh, it might be helpful for you to know that the podcast every year costs me a couple thousand dollars in equipment fees, software licensing fees, audio hosting file fees. There's just so many fees related to podcasting, which you maybe don't recognize. And uh, so if you would, if you are able to help help cover some of those costs, I would really appreciate it. And you can do that in one of two ways. One, you can just make a donation if you'd like. Uh, either a one-time donation or a recurring donation. If you want to do that, just go to redeeminggod.com slash partner. Another way, though, to help is to join my online discipleship group. Uh, It's $9 a month or $89 for the year. Uh, If you join the $89, you get two months free. If you join the $9 month one, you get your first month free. And uh, you can cancel at any time, either way. And of course, uh, with the 89, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. But but, uh, by joining it, uh, you're not only helping me financially, but I'm able to give you a a big thank you because you get access to all of my online courses. Right now, there's over $1,000 worth of uh, courses available to those those of you who are in the discipleship group. So when when you partner with me that way, I get to say thank you and uh, give you more audio, Bible, theology teaching through my online courses. So anyway, uh, if you want to join the online discipleship group, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join, and uh, you can pick the $9 or $89 option there. All right? So let's uh, get on with our study of Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Now, in verse 9, which we looked at last week, remember, God asked Jonah about the plant, and then Jonah expressed anger that God had killed this innocent vine. And so now, God responds to Jonah. And God first recognizes here in verse 10 that Jonah had concern about the vine. All right, now, this word concern, it's not just sorrow or pity. It means great care, right? Great love. Uh, It's a word related to God's covenant love for people, all right? 
the word is also used in Joel 2.17, uh, which uh, the author of Jonah probably has in mind here, okay? It, it shows that God not only cares, has concern for the people of Israel, but for all people on the world as well, all people on earth. Now, uh, why did Jonah have concern for the plant? Well, um, because it was giving him shade, it was helping him, it was a benefit to him. Um, but uh Jonah had concern for the plant, though, because God sent a worm to kill it, even though the vine had done nothing wrong, okay? So it's sort of a silly little comparison that is being made here, and it was made back in verse 9 as well, uh, but but we see it definitely here in verse 10. Uh, Jonah is saying the plant did nothing wrong. The plant was innocent, God. It didn't deserve you to send this worm to kill it. What did the, what did the, ever the plant do wrong to you, God? <laughs> okay, Um and uh, Jonah had expressed this unwillingness in verse 4 to talk to God about Nineveh, and so God sent, uh, caused this plant to grow so that they could have a discussion about the plant, and then this would transition them to be able to have a discussion about Nineveh, all right, which is what they're doing here. Okay, That's you know from the lesser to the greater sort of conversation here. Uh, and then So here in verse 10, God tells Jonah, look, you did not work for this plant, you didn't cause it to grow, yet you had concern for it, all right? Who caused, uh, who worked for it? Who caused it to grow? Well, God did. And we saw that, we saw that earlier in the text. Now, the verse, uh, verse 10 says, uh, God says that it came into being in a night and in a night it was destroyed. And there's lots of people say, see, see, this was a miraculous growth of the plant. It, it grew up in one night and was destroyed in one night. By the way, this can't be the same night, obviously, or else it would not have provided any shade for Jonah. So uh, again, even if it miraculously grew in one night, uh, and then died in one night. We don't know how many days or weeks were in between these two nights. All right, it's very possible that Jonah sat out there, uh, waiting for destruction to fall upon Nineveh for many days, weeks, possibly theoretically, who knows, even months. All right. Uh, nevertheless, lots of people look at this verse and say, "See, it came, it grew completely from uh, from nothing to full grown in one night. It was a miraculous growth." Well, maybe, but maybe not. The Hebrew word here, phrase, I'm, I'm sorry, is an idiom, meaning um, son of a knight, all right? It means son of a knight. And um, the, the similar phrase is used elsewhere for children, uh, talking about uh, son of a year. Now, does a child go from nothing to full grown in one year? No. Uh, it means the year in which they were born, Right. So, similarly, we can understand it that way here. It came into being in a night. That is, it started to grow one night. And did it fully grow that night? Well, a child doesn't fully grow in one year. Depending on how you look at uh, childhood growth, you know, they grow, they, they reach physical maturity sometime in their late teens, 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there. Uh, but uh, mental, spiritual maturity often takes much longer, and some of us still haven't reached there, even into full, you know, in, in, into our 60s and 70s, 80s maybe, but um, depending on how you look at that. Uh, the point is here, and again, we don't want to get all caught up in this. Well, how fast did the plant grow? That's not the point of the text, is it? So um, the ultimate point is found in verse 11. Let's just move on from this whole, whole discussion of the plant, uh, which, which we often get caught up in. In verse 11, uh, God continues to point out to Jonah that just as Jonah had pity or concern for the plant because it was innocent and had not done anything deserving death, God says that this is why he has concern about Nineveh. All right, by inference, 
from verse 10, God cared for the plant more than Jonah did because God is the one who made it grow. God caused the plant to grow, and so God had more concern for the plant than Jonah did. Uh, And if this is true of the plant, then obviously it's true of the city as well. And this is the point that, that, that God goes on to make. The city and its people didn't just come into being in a night. Uh, they've been growing and building and, and, and developing for many hundreds, even thousands of years. Started way back in Genesis 10, verse 11. And so Jonah has done nothing whatsoever. He did nothing whatsoever for the plant, and he definitely did nothing whatsoever for the city of Nineveh. But God has great care and concern for both the plant and for Nineveh because he has been watching and tending and helping and and leading and guiding them to grow and, and, and develop. And what God is saying here is just as that plant was my plant, Jonah, and I had great love and concern for it, so also that city, the city of Nineveh, is my city, Jonah. And I have great love and concern and care for it, just as I do for the people of Israel, Jonah. And I don't want to see Nineveh destroyed any more than I want to see Israel destroyed. God once again uh, says that the city of Nineveh is a great city. We've seen this phrase repeated uh, previously in the text, in chapter 1, verse 2, and then also at the beginning of chapter 3. And remember, it's not just a, a, a reference to its size. Uh, we, we learned at the end uh, in verse 3, I'm sorry, in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, that this was a great city to God, all right? That this means that uh, God thought it was great. Um, and so God is saying, a reminder here, that just as Jonah loved the plant, so also God loved the city of Nineveh and its inhabitants. Now, here we do have this reference to size. Uh, it says uh, God says there are more than 120,000 people in the city who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left. All right, now what does this mean? Again, commentators, um, scholars, pastors, theologians, seminary and Bible college professors love to debate this, and this is the thing we tend to focus on in the text. Um, And so let me just address it real briefly. Lots of people think that this reference here to they do not know their right hand and their left, that means this is children, you know, five, six years old, something like that, you know, who haven't learned right and left yet, right hand from their left. And so then they go on to argue that if this is 120,000 children, then obviously the total population of Nineveh must be much larger. And people speculate, they do math, you know, based on children under seven in our culture and what percentage of the population that is and so on. Probably this is city of Nineveh was 300 to 600,000 people. Of course, this then leads people to debate, well, that can't be true because the city of Nineveh was never that large. You know, not even in Jonah's day or any time after or before, right? It was never that large. And so people say, well, in that case, the city of population, uh, the population of uh, Nineveh must extend beyond just the city walls to the surrounding region. And, you know, there was 300 to 600,000 people in the surrounding region. You see how these debates go? (laughs) Uh, Look, all of that might be true. The thing is, is I believe that the 120,000, the reference to 120,000 here, doesn't refer just to children, but to all the people in the city of Nineveh. And 120,000 does seem to match roughly the population of the total number of people 
in Nineveh in the days of Jonah. I mean, look at it this other way. If we think that the 120,000 refers only to children, all right, what this means is we're left with the situation. What God would basically be telling Jonah is he'd be saying, Jonah, look, uh, you're right, Jonah. All those adults, uh, they do deserve death. I I wish I could destroy them and send fire and brimstone and floods and wipe them off the face of the earth. I hate them, Jonah, as much as you do. But look, I got to save the city for the sake of the children, right? That is basically what God is telling Jonah here if the 120,000 refers only to children. Now, does that accurately reflect the love and character and mercy and grace of God that we've been seeing throughout this book of uh, Jonah that we see elsewhere, especially in the character of Jesus? Of course not. God loves all people, desires that nobody should perish, all right? And we've been seeing that this is the message of the story of Jonah all the way throughout. So what, what then, if, if that's the case, if it's referring to all, then what does, this, uh, what does this, this phrase mean that they didn't know the difference between their right hand or their left? Well, there's lots of possibilities here. Uh, some people think that it uh, just means that the city was so large and so busy uh, that uh, people didn't know who lived on their right and on their left. They didn't know who their neighbors were. And so then people, the scholars who argue this say it just shows that there was a lack of hospitality, that the city lacked neighborliness. All right. And then some people go, and this was the great, you know, the, the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. They lacked hospitality. And uh, that's a similar problem here in Nineveh. Okay. And, and the debate goes off in the da- that direction. I don't think that's the best option. I think the best option is that uh, this phrase about not knowing their right from their left, it's a Hebrew idiom for not knowing right from wrong, all right? Uh, The people of Nineveh did not have the law of God or uh, the moral compass of the prophets, like Jonah, to guide them and teach them and instruct them on what God wanted people to do. Yes, they had a conscience, just like all human beings have a conscience, but we know from looking at our own society and culture that uh, conscience is not the best guide of what is right and wrong, all right? Uh, In fact, even, even when people do try to follow their conscience, the sad truth revealed in Scripture is that people who follow their conscience still do not understand or recognize most of the sin and evil that they commit. And that was definitely true of the people of Nineveh as well. They were simply ignorant of what they were doing. That's how to understand. It's full of 120,000 people who simply don't know what they're doing. Remember, it's just like Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this was the Roman people and the Jewish people who had the law, who had prophets, who had the scriptures, who were, and, and, and even then, Jesus says, They don't know what they're doing. Even with conscience, even with scriptures, even with religion and politics and government to guide us, humanity is far more ignorant than knowledgeable of our sin. In fact, the greatest sin of the world, uh, which is is a sin that all humans are guilty of and which all humans practice, is a sin that few people, even today, know, recognize, or understand. And what sin is that? It's the sin of sacred violence, the sin that was committed against Jesus on the cross. It's the sin of killing people in God's name. It's why we go to war. We march off to war with God's name on our lips, right? Singing our psalms and our prayers and saying, we're going to kill you in God's name. That's the greatest 
sin of human history, and it's a sin we still commit today. It was a sin that was committed against Jesus. It's a sin we still often practice today. I talk a lot more about this in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, so you might recognize that. And if you want to learn more about that, you can just read the book. But look, the 120,000 inhabitants of Nineveh, it included both children and adults who, yes, they were ignorant of God's law, uh, and yes, they probably had corrupted their conscience, uh, but the bottom line is here is they didn't recognize the sin they were committing, which, by the way, is the same sin Jonah was wanting to commit in wanting God to kill Nineveh. All right, so these people could not accurately make right decisions. And this is what makes Jonah upset. Jonah's upset because God is comparing the evil and wicked people of Nineveh to this innocent vine, this innocent plant. And that's going much too far for Jonah. And we can understand his anger and frustration at God is understandable. The plant is clearly innocent. The people are not. It'd be like, God, I don't know who your enemies might be. Say the North Koreans at this point, if you're a United States citizen, or uh, the people of Iraq or Iran, or Muslim terrorists, or you know someone on the other side of the political aisle, or some great sinner that you think you know should be condemned and killed in, in society and culture. Some person, some leader, some group of people. Who knows who it is? Okay, if someone were to come along and say, "No, no, no, they are as innocent as plants." <laughs> You would say, what? No, they aren't. And that's Jonah's frustration as well. From Jonah's perspective and from ours, it is outrageous for God to compare the people of Nineveh to the plant, you know, for, as an explanation for why he didn't kill them. Notice that God is not excusing the sin of the Ninevites. God never excuses sin. That's true. It's just that God wants Jonah to see that while Jonah sinned willfully, blatantly, and knowingly, and is therefore deserving of death, right? But what did he get instead? Grace and forgiveness from God. If that's true of Jonah, who sinned willfully, blatantly, knowingly, how much more should the sinful adults of Nineveh receive grace and forgiveness? Their their sin was committed mostly out of ignorance of God's law and and how God wants humans to live. All right? Remember, Jonah, throughout this whole text, he has wanted God to kill him. And God is saying, yeah, Jonah, I could have done that because you sinned willfully, blatantly, knowingly. You knew what you were doing. But God is saying, Jonah, even if I did what you wanted, even if I killed you, (laughs) this still doesn't mean that I would have had to kill the Ninevites because they are innocent. They didn't know what they were doing, right? So even if Jonah had gotten what he wanted and got to kill him, Jonah still could not have stood before the courts of God in heaven and said, now because you killed me for my sin, kill the people of Nineveh, right? It still would not, God would would have been able to say, I'm sorry, Jonah, I, I can't do that. The situation is not the same. So what God is saying to Jonah is, look, I extended grace to you in your blatant and willful disobedience, and I can definitely extend grace to the Ninevites in their ignorant disobedience. The bottom line is that God behaves as he did toward Nineveh because he loves them. They are his children. This is what God wants Jonah to see. The people of Nineveh are God's children 
his sons and daughters just as much as Jonah is, just as much as the rest of the people of Israel. Jonah viewed the Assyrians as his enemies. But God didn't. From God's perspective, the Assyrian people are his children just like the Israelite people. And God could not bear to see them destroyed. And so he did everything he could to protect them and rescue them from the destruction that was about to fall upon them. And Jonah had a a part to play in God's rescuing of Assyria, of Nineveh, which of course makes Jonah even more upset as well. Well, the final two words in the story of Jonah reveal it's not just the humans, not just the people in the city that God's concerned with, but the animals as well, right? There's 120,000 people, but final two words of the city, and many cattle. (laughs) A reference to cattle reminds the reader that, uh, remember, even the animals had been forced to fast and repent earlier in chapter 3, verse 8. But the final words of the story, God points out to Jonah that if Jonah can't find it in his heart to care about the people and the children of the city of Nineveh, then maybe, maybe Jonah could at least care for the animals who lived there. You know, whatever Jonah thought of the people, certainly the animals had done nothing, right, to deserve death. Certainly they were innocent. But again, the bottom line point is, whatever Jonah feels about the people, whatever Jonah feels about the animals, God cares for them all. And by inference here, God would have spared the city even for the sake of the animals alone. And with that, the story of Jonah ends. Jonah wants the city to be destroyed because he did not care for anyone or anything in the city. He did care for the plant, and he was upset when that gets destroyed. And so God says here at the end of the story of Jonah, Jonah, look what you're saying. You did not cause the plant to grow, and yet you loved it and wanted it to survive. Neither did you cause Nineveh to grow, yet you wanted it to be destroyed, along with all the people and the animals. You're upset about the plant because it didn't deserve death, and you thought the people of Nineveh did. Well, Jonah... Nineveh is full of 120,000 people and a whole bunch of animals, and they're all ignorant about my requirements. They do not know good from evil, do not know right hand from their left. Like the plant, they also did not deserve death. Shall I not be concerned with that great city? The end. (laughs) It's the end of the story. What a strange ending, right? It leaves us hanging. God asks Jonah a question, and Jonah does not answer. There's no answer from Jonah. Some people have found this ending to Jonah so strange, there's a few scholars who think that the story of Jonah actually should have ended at the end of chapter 3, right? The story of Jonah is about God's love for the people of Nineveh, for the people of all nations, and at the end of Nineveh, they repent and God spares them from destruction at the end. 
And so they think, well, this chapter four, it was a later edition. We don't know why it's here. I even have a couple of commentaries on my shelf where they literally stop their explanation of the book of Jonah at the end of chapter three. They say nothing, not a single word about chapter four because they don't know why it's there. God shows his love for all people at the end of chapter three. That's the end of the story. There's other commentaries, and I have some of these on my shelf, who say, no, no, there should have been a fifth chapter to the story of Jonah, and somehow, somewhere along the way, it got lost. This is a terrible ending to the story. We don't know what happens to Jonah. You know, we don't know. There's, we don't know how Jonah answers or responds. There's no sort of uh, therefore conclusion section. It's just this abrupt ending, this question of God. Where's the rest of the story? There must have been a chapter five, and it's been it, it got deleted, missing, lost somewhere along the way, and we'll never find it. We don't know what happens. You know, some people go with that argument. I believe the closing statement from God in these final two verses, is the perfect conclusion to the story of Jonah. I agree it's not the end of the story, but I, it's, it, it is the conclusion, the perfect conclusion. Why? Well, this becomes clear when we understand what the story of Jonah is all about, which I've been teasing as we've done this study of Jonah along the way. But we're out of time for today, and so we will look at this next week in our final study of the story of Jonah. I'm no, I'm sorry to leave you hanging that way, but look, that's what the story of Jonah does, right? I'm leaving you hanging just like the story of Jonah leaves you hanging. So we'll see what the story of Jonah is all about as we close out our study of Jonah next week in our final episode of our study of Jonah and also as we close out the year. And look, uh, just as a reminder, I would greatly appreciate it if you would help me close out my year with this podcast by helping cover some of my expenses. Uh, the, the podcast costs me a, a couple of hundred dollars each month to record, produce, host, publish. I try to cover some of these expenses through selling books and uh, by putting advertising on my blog. If you want to help, you, of course, could buy some books from Amazon or so on. In fact, they have a new book coming out. Uh, bef- next week on prayer. It's uh, now available on Apple uh, Bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and uh, will be available on Amazon this uh, by, by Tuesday, December the 12th or something like that, whatever the day is, I'm not quite sure. Next week, a week from, well, uh, anyway, next week. So you can buy books. But if you want to help cover the costs of the podcast in other ways, you can uh, give, send in a donation, a gift. Uh, just go to redeeminggod.com partner. You can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift there, either monthly or yearly. Second, though, if you enjoy this podcast, I think you will also enjoy the Bible and uh, teaching that I provide in my online courses. I have one on Romans 9 about election. I have one on the Gospel of Grace, and which looks at numerous difficult and tricky passages in the Bible. I have one on uh, defining the church, what church is, how we can grow in unity in the church. Okay. There, there's uh, five or six courses there already, and I'm adding more all the time. And you can take all those courses at no additional cost when you join my discipleship group uh, at redeeminggod.com join. There's a monthly fee to access the courses, uh, either $9 uh, per month or $89 for the year. But uh, think of it as that is helping cover the costs of running this podcast and publishing my books and so on. And... Uh, 
and, and then you get, as my way of thanking you, you get access to all of my courses at no additional cost, okay? So there's $1,000 worth of Bible and theology courses there already. Anyway, uh, thank you for your support in advance. And uh, thank you for joining me on this podcast this year. And I am excited to see you back here next week as we close out our study of Jonah and close out our year by looking at what the story of Jonah is all about. You don't want to miss that closing episode. It's uh, very exciting and even a little bit convicting. Until then, and as always, keep following Jesus wherever it is he leads. <laughs>